Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor, and with me today is a very special guest. William Sterling is a horror author, aspiring screenwriter, and podcaster from Atlanta, Georgia-ish. He has two books coming out this year, Killer Be Killed, Homewrecker, and String Them Up from Crystal Lake Publishing, and hosts the Killer Mediums podcast. Welcome to the show, William. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, um, it's long been on my bucket list to have you on the show. Um, I got to know you just as we were starting Slay House Publishing. You were one of the very first people to kind of uh, like jump on to greet us as a new publisher. Um, and then getting to know you a little bit through your work, um, getting to know you through Killer Mediums was just such a huge blast. Um, and now getting you on the show to talk about Killer Be Killed Homewrecker is just uh, extra special. So thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. I feel the same way back to you. I feel like you took a chance on me when I was first starting out the podcast, uh, Killer Mediums, and came on and did just this episode about children's horror uh, that knocked my socks off. Uh, your in-depth breakdown of R.L. Stein and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and all the rest of those gems um, made me realize, like maybe in the middle of the episode, I might have something here. This might really actually be worth my time to keep making these episodes and putting these out. Like I, we had had good episodes leading up to that and I was kind of getting my confidence up a little bit, but just ending that episode with you made me feel like this is worthwhile. This is, this is really something worth continuing to push. So thank you back. <laughs> oh no, it, it's, I gotta tell you, it's totally worthwhile. And uh, I, it feels weird to, to, you know, have you on my podcast so I can plug your podcast. Um, but really it's one of those situations where I'm like, no, seriously, go listen to killer mediums. Cause you have some fantastic guests. And, and one of the things I love about your show in particular is that you bring them on to share their expertise, you know, about something they're very passionate about, which leads to, I feel like just a whole bunch of education um, all around. You know, I had not thought of found footage very much um, until I, I listened to that episode with Brianna Morgan and then mm -hmm. found myself just watching everything she suggested we watch, you know, it was um, I, it just it's such a great time. And so I, I really love what, what you're doing with that show. And uh, along with she wore black um, it, you know, those are my two favorite podcasts. I, I absolutely love um, the energy that you bring in and I love uh, the work that you kind of do um, to really highlight your guests. And, and I wanted to open our episode talking specifically about killer mediums and some of what kind of prompted you uh, to create that podcast and your vision for it when you first started out. Sure. Um, so the basic pitch with killer mediums is that each episode we're going to tackle a trope or 
some aspect of the horror genre um, that whoever the guest of the week is has some sort of a specialty in. So you mentioned Brianna Morgan talking about found footage horror. Um, I brought her on to do a found footage episode right after she released the Reyes incident or re-released the Reyes incident um, to, to dive into that because the Reyes incident is this really cool found footage book, which is not something you hear of too terribly often. Um, but she had all this expertise about uh, Noroi the Curse and Blair Witch Project and just brought all of this different stuff to the table that I, like you were saying, I wouldn't have thought of. I don't have a phd in found footage horror or <laughs> whatever the equivalent would be um but i think the idea for the podcast kind of came from james sabata and the necronoma.com i guessed it on there a couple of times um and listened to that podcast all the time and my favorite part of the podcast is usually near the very end when they ask their guest for comps to whatever movie they've been talking about up to that point and the guests just so frequently go on these tangents about movies and books and things that they love and you can hear just their enthusiasm for the stuff bubbling over that maybe you don't get on a podcast where somebody's just talking about their own book where you're trying to be a little bit modest like yes I wrote this thing it's supposedly great uh, according to other people they tell me it's good I believe them whatever but then you point the lens towards something that they're not actively involved in and they just feel free to gush about it. So I, I think that was the idea. Um, create a, a podcast that can focus on topics that they care about, where they can just feel free to gush about things that they love in the horror community because, you know, we're a passionate fan base. Yeah. And what I also think is so cool is that you've had some really... Um some some interesting characters you know come on your show to talk about these passions you know um i i love brianna morgan and um we had at slay house we had a little bit of interaction with her as uh the race incident came out and i i love that story hearing her talk about some of the comps you know to that book through the stuff that really influenced her helped me understand a lot more what she was doing with the Reyes incident and and how much I appreciated the craft that she really put into that. But you've also had other names like V Castro, you know, come in to talk about aliens and, uh, you know, Paul Tremblay come on to, to talk about some stuff. I just think that that is um, uh, just a, a really special venue for a lot of people to come in and listen. Yeah, I've been really blown away by the reception to it. Um, I, I've kind of gone with about a 50-50 route on how to find guests for it. I'll I'll put out an open call and just kind of say, hey, if you've got a book coming out and you've got a topic you want to talk about, just send me a pitch. Let's do it. I've, I've done that a couple of times and gotten some really cool people reaching out. Um, and I use that for maybe 50% of the guest slots. And then the other 50%, I've kind of taken this, like the worst they can say is no approach. <laughs> um, I just shot my shot with some people like hey I know Paul Tremblay has a movie coming out through M. Night Shyamalan um, in February any chance he wants to come on a podcast and talk about ambu ambiguity and horror and his agent actually got back to me for some reason that I will never understand <laughs> um, same with there's a 
there's an episode we did with Dr. Matthias Clausen uh, from Aarhus University in Denmark. Apparently, they have a whole research initiative up there called the uh, Recreational Fear Lab, studying um, why people enjoy being scared, studying the science of horror, uh, trying to weigh what the difference is between people enjoying horror and being traumatized by scary things. Where do we draw the line? How does that balance? I got to bring him on just to talk about having fun with horror, and it kind of like missed the tropey aspect of the show for an episode, but he was just such a weirdly cool guest um, that it felt worthwhile to bring him on. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, just weird stuff like that has just kind of fallen into my lap and I feel way luckier than I deserve to be for, for how it's all been working out. It's, um, it, it, it's just amazing. I, one of the things I love about this community you know specifically the horror community is the way that um i mean they really do turn up right like it, they have a tremendous passion for this genre and then um it, it's like everyone is is kind of um just like willing to proselytize for it right like everyone is here to advocate for it and um they advocate for for really some amazing ideas yeah, I and I've been trying to wrap my head around the psychology behind that for so long because uh, all the guests that I bring on, like my my most frequent tangent is talking about how much I love the horror community and how great most of the people in the horror community are, um, and just trying to understand like why is this such a welcoming community? Why is it that all of uh, all of the people that are into this like vile, gory, violent stuff, like what why are we the ones that will accept each other with open arms where I guess I'll throw them under the bus. I've heard horror stories about like the romance genre and how authors treat each other <laughs> in the arena. <laughs> so, yeah. I I think there's something here about how like horror like especially when we were all growing up was a little bit of the outcast, a little bit of the outlier. Like it wasn't the thing that the standard person gravitated to. Um, I think that's changing a little bit nowadays, but uh, historically, at least it, it was a place for kind of the outcasts to come meet up with each other. It's like we've been rejected by enough other aspects of society. Why would we reject each other? And that's, you know, very like, woo us <laughs> sort of <laughs> answer but like maybe there's something there i don't know that that's my working theory at the moment <laughs> yeah i i like it as a working theory so thinking of um outcasts at, and and this is probably the weakest transition i've ever tried to make but speaking of outcasts you know you've got um a couple of books coming out um this year and i know that uh kind of the the outsider the the person who doesn't quite fit in uh features quite prominently in uh killer be killed and then of course killer be killed uh, home wrecker so as um i brought you on the the show kind of to talk about those two books in particular um but i kind of want to pitch it to you you know first off what is uh killer be killed and uh, for, for our listeners, and then um, what were some of the things that, you know, kind of motivated you to start crafting uh, these particular stories? 
Sure. Um, so Killer Be Killed is my slasher trilogy that I'm working on. Um, I self-published book one last summer, uh, had fully intended for it to be a standalone when I started writing it, um, into the backstory just a little bit. I've been self-publishing for a few years, wasn't really having a lot of success with it, wasn't really having a lot of fun with it anymore because I kept trying to force myself to write to market, uh, finding things that I thought would be hot ticket items, trying to force myself to write stuff that was more, I guess, I hate the word, but literary um, yeah. and, and uh, highbrow and trying to force myself into this corner that I thought that the publishing world would would prefer to see. Um, and Kill or Be Killed, the first one was just kind of my, like, fuck it, Hail Mary of, I'm just going <laughs> to write something I want to write. Um, and nobody's going to pick it up and publish it because it's too weird. Um, and it, it's it's a slasher, so it's not going to have this like really highbrow concept behind it or anything like that. But I'm just going to throw literally anything I want at the wall and see how it sticks. And if this works out and I get my mojo back, then cool, I'll, I'll keep writing. And if this doesn't work out, then, you know, maybe this isn't the road for me. But by the end of the book I found myself having fun with crafting a story again um giving myself free reign to actually like do what was inspiring me was surprise surprise inspiring um so the first book is is I've been calling it a reverse camp slasher mm -hmm. uh, so killer be killed one is unabashedly asking you to cheer for the killer in the woods as they come after <laughs> the summer camp uh, and the counselors, because that's what we all find ourselves doing when we watch Friday the 13th. Anyhow, you don't want to watch all of the counselors survive because that would be such a boring movie. You want Jason to get in there and start going after stuff. And there is something so fundamentally corrupt about that mindset I wanted to try to turn it around uh, to give the readers free reign to to connect with the killer and to be like, yes, no, this is good. This is they should absolutely chop that person's head off. This is the right move. <laughs> and do many other things uh, because many you know, other things. I I think the the politest thing that's done in that book is uh, is a beheading, right? <laughs> yes. Um, what I was struck by when I read your book was just how fun it was and how fun it felt. You know, um, I know I've said this on on the show in other places, and I know we've had a conversation about it, too. You know, it's, it's like literature should be fun. You know, like like I think there's real value in a book that is fun and, and takes joy in what it's doing. But I also felt like your book as fun as it is still has important emotional underpinnings you know to the the main character Boone um and his daughter Athena Athena goes to the summer camp Boone is very reticent to let her go and then this crazy disaster kind of happens and uh it goes off the rails from there in a very gleeful way you know um and anyway I I I was really just struck by how inventive uh, the book felt in its its kind of gruesomeness, its uh, willingness to 
take part in that activity of like, no, give the people what they want, right? I, uh, to your point about the the divisiveness and the classism, and I think there's so much room in the horror sphere for your Ari Asters and your hereditaries and your like big grandiose like purple prose writings. Like I love those so much, but there's also room in the world for your Friday the Thirteenth um, and your splatter punks and your people that are just out here like to have a good time to throw the bodies at the wall and see what what bones stick <laughs> absolutely um i found too that that your sequel which is coming up in this summer um at home wrecker you know it it satisfied again satisfied a lot of that emotional beat um but also some of the craziest kills i've ever seen or heard of uh in any slasher ever i mean it it took my breath away in a couple of places i was like this is diabolical <laughs> after this i want to hear i want to hear which kills that were because i've gotten different reactions from everybody i sent it to um focusing on different different aspects but yes yeah, so um i mean if, i could i could spoil it if you want i'll tell you right now sure, sure. yeah what it's the it's the barbed wire in the living room yes <laughs> okay all right so we'll we'll fast forward up to this point a little bit um so the first killer be killed is a reverse camp slasher it's a little bit more like 70s 80s slasher focused um, so the idea when I wanted to go into the sequels was I don't want to stick in the same genre of slashers. Slashers have been evolving, so I'd like this trilogy to evolve a little bit, mm. too. Um, so Killer Be Killed Homewrecker is a home invasion slasher, kind of bringing it up more towards those 90s teen slashers, um, Scream and all those where things are happening in a hometown. Um, and the whole thing culminates in... Um, basically a reverse home invasion. I don't know why I'm so into the word reverse right now. <laughs> I, I mean, why not? It, flipping flipping a trope on its head is fun. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the main characters know that the baddies are coming for them in their home. And so they decide to turn their, their house into basically a jigsaw trap. <laughs> Um, to try to survive the night get through everything and yes yeah, so the barbed wires i was um having a really hard time coming up with that kill i knew that there was one more wave of intruders that i needed to get rid of i had the first ki the the kill for the first wave of them figured out and i knew right. where things were going to end up in the house i just needed to get rid of three more bodies or four more bodies or <laughs> So I was laying in the living room one day with my kids jumping on my chest. Like, this is, this is painful. Um, thanks. Thanks, Craig. My ribs didn't <laughs> need to exist anymore. Um, but staring up at the ceiling fan and just like realized that it could get weaponized. So yeah, I, I've got a, I've got a really fun kill here where we're attaching spools of barbed wire to a ceiling fan and letting it go. It was, uh, it was just like, like I said, it was it's absolutely diabolical. And uh, I, I think that word works uh, in the context of the book, too. Like it's in the oh. book. It's literally diabolical. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was, it was just so much fun. Um, so circling kind of back to um, 
you know this this notion of of like the the tropes of a slasher and this this idea of like the evolved slasher you pay homage to two evolved slashers literary slashers um that i kind of want to pinpoint um first is my heart is a chainsaw um and the other is curse of the reaper um by uh stephen graham jones and brian mccauley respectively um so what do you think is is kind of the impulse for these evolved slashers as you call them um why do you think we're seeing kind of a a moment where these sorts of stories are very popular i think slashers have always been a little bit tongue-in-cheek um, I think just in their nature, when you're writing a story about some big evil thing person just cutting people down for an entire movie, um, there's going to be a little bit of goofiness involved with that. There's going to be a little bit of kind of stringing out a narrative involved and things are naturally going to get a little strange when you do that. Um, I, I think that's always kind of been the case. And then when you get to Scream and Wes Craven, um, in the 90s, just having somebody literally turn the camera around and point it at that goofiness opened the door for that trope or that subgenre to be very self-aware, to be very um, kind of self, self-deprecating, self but in a fun way, mm-hmm. um, in a way that I haven't really seen many other horror subgenres go um, just because of the inherently goofy nature of them a little bit and the inherently just fun throw everything at the wall nature of them. Um, I think the genre just lends itself to kind of poking more fun at itself because it's already having fun. So in today's climate, um, with everything going on in the world, with, with um, oh gosh, politics and you know the the pandemic and everything else i feel like viewers and readers and everything else have been in such a dark headspace for so long we kind of want a moment of escapism and i think that's giving rise to the slasher genre coming back there's also been this strong undercurrent in slashers the whole time of female empowerment um so of everything that's happening politically right now having just women's rage broadcast in literary and film um it's the right time for that um so having a genre that plays with both of those so predominantly and so clearly it just it, it feels like everything's coming together for the slasher right now yeah i um i do remember when uh the only good indians came out um, Stephen Graham Jones was kind of talking about the, the slasher and 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 like the ethics of the slasher, you know, this this idea that it plays into our concepts, our human concepts of like justice. What is justice? Um, I'm going to get on my my weird uh, world lit soapbox with you for just a moment. <clears throat> um, there's this notion of of. Um, just like this sense of justice, right? I think that as human beings for thousands of years, we've been obsessed with this idea of like, how is justice meted out? And I think that that slashers in our modern age play into this notion of like 
like this violent justice, right? Like violence is justice. And we see the people in slashers so frequently transgress against some kind of a norm. And, you know, the 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 creature, the the person, the slasher that comes out and murders all of these, you know, transgressive uh, teenagers or these transgressive, um, you know, men and women, um, it plays into this idea of like this perverse sense of justice, right? Um, and I think that plays into some of the quote unquote rules, the tropes of the slasher, right? Like don't don't take your pants off in a slasher movie or you're dead, right? And I think to your point, you know, they have been transgressive. We do see a lot of tr- slashers centering on um, female empowerment or featuring very strong female characters like in the uh, Scream franchise, right? But I think we're also seeing a, a, a hot moment where a lot of writers are are kind of coming in and playing with that notion, playing with the notion of the final girl, playing with the notion of female empowerment, playing with these ideas of you know what really is justice. And I I think what's interesting about a reverse slasher, like in your case, um, because you flip the script. You know, you have a very different uh, conversation about, you know, our perceptions of justice and who has really been the transgressor here and what really are the valuable relationships that we preserve through this violence. Oh, where do I want to start my answer? Okay. (laughs) Um, So uh, I don't think any of my answers are going to make sense unless I roll back to book one and spoil a little bit. Um. And this isn't really a spoiler because it happens in the first three chapters. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of the the inciting incident for um, everything that happens in Killer Be Killed Book One with the camps uh, with the reverse camp slasher is um, the camp counselors at this camp are going to sacrifice all of the children at the camp in an attempt to uh, raise some fallen gods, they call them, uh, in an attempt to create a new world order. So whereas in the old camp slashers, you had these counselors that were doing these like relatively harmless moral discrepancies of having sex and right. you know, <laughs> drinking, um, these are counselors that actually like, do something terribly wrong and deserve horrendous things to happen to them um so so i I think it justifies all of the violence a little bit more than maybe it does in your friday the 13th your sleepaway camps where like yeah they were bullying the kid but did we really need to kill them with a wasp's nest like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i loved um or be killed because it it felt like all right i can get behind you know like getting rid of these teenagers because i think there's an impulse in a lot of this fiction um to kind of showcase the the teenagers as transgressors against kind of like this old guard right mm-hmm. um and here the transgression is really like robbing the future right because it's the older camp counselors that predate upon the younger ones and then boone is kind of the one who is like i gotta protect my daughter there's 
this familial tie here and this, you know, this concept of like ruining the future a little bit. Right. And, but there's also always this thing that, that kind of nags at me when I'm, when I'm watching things like this or watching revenge, um, revenge arcs or anything like that. Like I'm very much not in the camp of an eye for an eye. Um, I, I don't believe that morally. I don't believe that philosophically. <laughs> um, so I, I always, I, I think the long-term trajectory for the series, when we get into book three here, probably next year, um, <laughs> is trying to consolidate that because I've been having fun throwing so many bodies at the wall. Oh, sure. Thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there have to be some repercussions for that too. Mm. The The moral standards don't just go out the window because something bad happened to you. So uh -huh. justice is this crazy scale to try to balance like you've been talking about. And I mean, I, I, I really like it. I, I, I like too what you say about, you know, there, there has to be some repercussions for this sort of thing. And I do to 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 your point. I think you do some of that in uh, both of these books, with you know, kind of the way that Boone reacts to some of what is happening to him and and what goes on. So I kind of want to ask you a little bit. You know, what drew you to murdering teenagers in the the first place? In the book, right? Yeah, in the book, of course. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're not getting to the real world <laughs> stuff quite yet. Um. I think, oh my gosh, this is going to sound so vile for a second, but I promise I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back. Um, <laughs> I, I was a high school teacher uh, up until recently and was constantly surrounded by teenagers. Um, some of whom were like the best people I will ever meet in my life. And they're going to go on to like, such amazing things. Um, and some of them that are just like really horrendous people um, like, <laughs> listening to their conversations in class and watching them interact with each other. I was like, you, you are, you're going to have a tough road, buddy. Um, <laughs> but just, I think being surrounded by 150 teenagers every single day um, made me really think about where they were headspace wise um and teenagers in the large part have this idea that they're invincible not just physically but like mentally and with their futures nothing's going to crash their party nothing's going to bring them down off this mountain and it's the perfect group to get radicalized by like cruel mm. ideologies just because of that blind faith in their own immortality, I guess. Um, so when it came to trying to pull together some some bad characters mm. um, for for the book, um, they they were oh gosh no i'm not going to salvage this at all i'm just going to sound like a horrible person um they were really <laughs> easy cannon fodder because i could kind of look around in the classroom and like recognize not individual people i did not write any of my students into this book i promise right, right. 
<laughs> but just the general <laughs> mindsets um, and some of the clicks I could kind of see consolidating into a character. Like, oh, okay. So the 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 Jolene character um, mm -hmm. it is, I guess, as far as big bads go, she's the big bad of the series so far. Um, she she came from listening to so many conversations with kids where they were right. The entire rest of the world was wrong. The things that they had seen in their 16 years of existence were absolutely unshakable. Um, and anybody that dared to contradict them could just go get bent. Like those students are everywhere, not everywhere. The, those students exist though. Um, and just thinking about if that person fell into the wrong hand with the wrong kind of a mentor, with the wrong person to kind of guide them in their way. Like how devastating could that slash will that mm. uh, be in a society? You know, you, you hit on a, a, what is kind of a, my, a, a soapbox for me as well. You know, I, I spend a lot of time looking at, you know, kind of internet trends and and some of the stuff that we see crop up on social media or on message board sites. I'm very concerned always with the future um, and building a, a truly egalitarian future. And I see a lot of youth today um, taking very concerning stances on social or political issues, um, being fed by what I think are, are radicalizing agents, you know, people like the Andrew Tate's of the world or the Jordan Peterson's of the world that, um, find, you know, a vulnerable population, um, in this case, like adolescent boys, right. And just kind of feed them these lies. They, they kind of, uh, act as a, a Trojan horse by giving them some life advice, that they truly desperately need to find direction and to find purpose in, in a confusing, complex, and unfair world. And then sneak in to, you know, kind of give them these, these ideas of like uh, white supremacy or, you know, masculinist supremacy that I find quite scary. I find quite um, terrifying. And we see that all over the place. You know, it's not just... Um, these kids who are, you know, these boys who are being radicalized, but I think there are people all across the country being radicalized kind of continuously um, because people find themselves in a bad situation and then take bad advice. Right. And, and they, they follow down a, a rabbit hole that I, I truly believe that sometimes they don't know any better than to follow. Yeah, and I'll, I want to reclaim some of my answer a little bit. I, I don't want to come off as sounding super aged. Oh, no, no, no. I, I totally get it. I think it. I think it's a symptom of just the situation in their life right then. When you're a high school kid, you very rarely have gone out and seen anything of the world. You have probably seen the few thousand people that you went to high school with and you know, coin toss over whether or not they're a representative of everything that the world has to offer. Um, and, and you're at this age where you know that you're about to get thrust out into the world. And that is, I mean, for me, at least that was terrifying of a mindset. 
um, not knowing what I was going to do with my future, not knowing where I was going to go or who was going to help me once I was out there. Like it, it senior year of high school is, <laughs> ah, it, it is some sort of mental torture. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I think anybody put in that sort of a situation would, uh, you know, be vulnerable. And it just so happens that an entire chunk of our population is in that vulnerable situation year after year after yeah. year after year going through the grinder. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I, I think so many people are, are rather unfortunately, you know, put into a vulnerable situation um, because of the way that our society is structured. And, um, you know, much like the 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 wolf masks that your you know your your cultists wear you know in this book it's like they all have this this weird pack mentality and they all want to see themselves as predators because in this particular system it is either predate or die you know you you, you um you kind of have to in order to to get ahead and i i think that's one of the reasons why i think you know some of the metaphors that that you're really using in these slashers um kind of resonate with me a little bit yeah that that's another thing about the high school scene is especially nowadays everything is so hyper competitive mm. um, you you have to be one of the best athletes or else you're not going to get a scholarship and you're not going to go to college mm -hmm. and your whole life will crumble around you you have to be uh, one of the top top kids with the GPA or else, it, you know, your whole life's going to fall apart. You have to be the popular kid, not one of the popular kids. You have to be the popular kid mm -hmm. or else nobody likes you and you're not amounting to anything. Like there's so much pressure that these kids put on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and that we as a society put on them. Like it's not all self-inflicted. Uh, so much of it is parental, mm. uh, parentally charged. So much of it is, societally charged that it's just yeah it the idea of those kids reaching their breaking point and snapping is it's it's a step in the wrong direction it's not a leap in the mm -hmm. wrong direction. right yeah i love to you know some of what what you talk about um, or what you said earlier, you know, about, you know, this concept of justice, right? And, and not, you know, you personally not looking for for eye for an eye, as a, a solution. Um, I'm like you, I don't believe that there, that that is the solution. And I do find myself sometimes frustrated with the state of media, in which it always seems that um, there's like a push, I guess, um, how how do I word this? I gotta I gotta think it. <laughs> There's like this push, I think, to um to create monsters, right? To to like craft monsters and to show uh trauma, to 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 show a difficulty as only having a natural outcome, and that natural outcome is horrific and tremendous violence. As an example, reaching into slashers. One of the reasons why I so vehemently disliked the latest uh, Halloween movie, the the last one in this rem remake trilogy, was because we had this character, a sympathetic character, who was the victim of unfortunate circumstance. And people 
mistreat him and abuse him the entire length of the movie until he finds the one figure that he wants to kind of um, uh, emulate in order to achieve his justice. And, and that that person is Michael Myers, right? And he becomes kind of this slasher of his own and his this monster. And the girl that he's with is like, uh, at first, she's like, yeah, you know, fuck them all. Um, and I, it just sits kind of poorly with me because I know he's the villain of the piece. But I feel like we've we've bought into this narrative that the only answer is ever to to like, well, he's a monster. What did you expect is going to happen? And I, I wish we had more media that kind of pushed us in the direction of saying, no, you can make decisions, right? Like you can be stomped on and you don't have to stomp back, right? There are other ways of making yourself resilient. There are other ways of solving and resolving those problems. Um, and, and uh, you know, there, there are people there who would see you and, and would would build alongside you you know like i i feel like we're lacking redemption arc in a, a lot of these stories um in a sense that you know yeah okay shit happens and and that's really really terrible but you don't have to change your values um you know in in response to those circumstances i think you just far more eloquently than i did um talked through um athena's homewrecker arc <laughs> um, you know what you're totally right now that i think about it that was not intentional but you're totally right you're totally right that is that is exactly where i'm trying to get her to end up so i i guess thematic spoilers um <laughs> the, the so in Kill or Be Killed, uh, the two main characters are the daughter, Athena, who attends the summer camp that gets you know, decimated uh, in book one, and her father, Boone, who, um, for various reasons, gets stuck at the summer camp and then realizes what's happening and then goes on a revenge tour to tear the camp down. Um, a big thing with Athena in book one is that she's a very passive character. Um, she mm -hmm. is trying to survive the entire time and that is it she is hiding wherever she can hide she is just getting away from these things and there's carnage all around her but she's trying to stay out of it yeah in book two the transition becomes everybody around her is kind of pushing her to be more active um because um third walling it that was a little bit of the the feedback i got from book one was that the the female character didn't really do much that was kind mm -hmm. of on purpose, but i see your point um so I, so everybody also she's like 12 in that book or 12 year old girl <laughs> what do you want to go, do? go grab the sledgehammer um <laughs> but in book two there's all this pressure on her to go out and to start you know killing or being killed hey book title but um <laughs> um, and it it trying to decide how much i'm spoiling here by the end of book two we see her reaching her decision point um if mm -hmm. she's going to kind of feed into this or not mm -hmm. um 
And then book three, I think, is going to be all about the repercussions of that and trying to, yay, repercussions again, um, and trying <laughs> to um, land this plane with the idea of like the cycle of violence just perpetuates and eye for an eye isn't necessarily the way to go. Um, trying to find a way for her to find closure while also learning that lesson. Um, it, if I can pitch the the Last of Us Part Two, I think was a master class in yeah. talking about revenge arcs and talking about all of this. Um, um, forwarding trauma along sort of a mentality mm -hmm. and perpetuating mm -hmm. violence um so i think i i think as far as slashers are concerned that's one of the best slashers in modern history in my mind um and we can debate that if you would like to i know i you know what um so i haven't played the game but i know all about the story um i was i i watched that hot moment where the internet had a meltdown over it and and just was exceedingly negative about it um and and through watching a lot of the story and and like actually reading what is this story what happens in this game um i was just like man the entire internet got it wrong here right <laughs> <Yeah>. right <laughs> um yeah, so my my wife, Jessie, has been going on this horror journey with me for the last few years. Um, she did not grow up a horror fan. She was not a horror fan, like, until we got married. And I've just been, like, slowly wading her into the waters. Um, she watched the first season of the show with me. Loved it. Was fully bought in. Um, so when the show ended, it's going to be two years until the next season comes out. So I mm -hmm. kind of pitched to her, like, we have the game. You can see where this is going if you want to. She doesn't video game very much, but she she took a shot on this, and we got to the scene, mm. um, like an hour and a half in. Yeah. So she won't come back to it. Oh like, no! I don't know where this is going. I don't want to know where this is going, and I keep trying to sell it to her. No, 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 no. You've got to you've got to see where the arc is because this yeah. it's so worth it. But she's just so mad at everything right now. <laughs> I, I totally get it. I totally understand. So moving away from uh, Kill or Be Killed a little bit, I also want to hear just a little bit from you about uh, String Them Up, which is your next book coming out from Crystal Lake Publishing. Um, I've read just a little bit of a, a kind of a preview to this particular novel, um, and I'm very excited about it and, and it coming out. Um, but I kind of want to hear from you, you know, what is this book about and what are some of the things that you're exploring in it? Sure. Um, so this book was one of the ones that I wrote while I was in my, I'm going to call it my trying too hard phase. <laughs> um, I, I desperately wanted to make, uh, an A24 kind of a book um, <laughs> that explored uh, unprocessed uh, grief, uh, what happens when you take a horrifying event and try to just compartmentalize it for too long and ignore it and try to move mm -hmm. on with your life without dealing with it. Um, so it's about a uh, ex-cop named Sinclair who moves to a place called Hollow Hills 
Um, he just lost his wife and his son in a accident. And rather than, you know, facing that tragedy head on or dealing with all of the issues in his own life, he's coming from a corrupt police department, et cetera. Um, he tries to just escape it all. He has a friend that lives in this small town that's the sheriff there that offers him a job. Come on up here. Nothing ever happens in this town. You can just, you know, vibe and write out your days. And um, so he, he moves to this town to try to get through it. And lo and behold, it is not actually a sleepy, quiet town because then we wouldn't <laughs> have the book. Um, but it's uh, we, we've got haunted puppets, everybody. We've got murder puppets. <laughs> and there's a very good reason for that um or at least i think there's a very good reason for that that the book yeah. gets into but um him refusing to process his grief and the reason for the murder puppets running around um are are going to be very interrelated and they come to a head um i don't know i i really liked the message of the book when i started with it but again i i think i was trying too hard to be too highbrow with it so when i got done writing it i kind of tabled it for a while and went and then i wrote killer be killed started having fun again and came back to it and i was like this just needs you know more bonkers kills this needs a couple <laughs> elements of just weird what is he doing this <laughs> um and when i went in and added a little bit more of i guess my own flavor to it mm. i figured it out and it clicked um crystal lake publishing picked it up um they were the first publisher i sent it to after i was finished because they had a call open and it was kind of one of those crystal lakes amazing they'll never accept this but why not <laughs> <laughs> um, i sent it to them and like didn't hear anything back for like five months and kind of wrote it off um and then just got this email like hey we're we're moving it up the chain it got through the slush readers so you know please stop sending it other places oh well okay then <laughs> uh but yeah i guess i guess once i gave myself free reign to put myself in the book um I, I think it found itself a little bit. So it's all of these um, big highbrow feelings of um, what happens, what happens when you empty yourself out, um, when you try to just be dead inside puppet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> remixed with just like, there's, there's a peacock farm, right? <laughs> Um, right. there, there's a peacock farm in this town and the peacocks get out at one point and start attacking people and the, the you know peacocks are fun <laughs> i love that you know you as a writer are becoming more comfortable in in you know this this moment of like finding your voice right because that's like writing 101 right everyone kind of says like write the story that you want to to read you know write the story that you want to write don't worry about anyone else uh your readers are going to catch up to you you know um and i i really do kind of believe that i feel like there are a lot of readers in a lot of different seasons of life and as a writer um yeah like write the thing that that you need to express because you don't even know there's probably someone out there that needs your story right and needs you to tell it specifically um 
I totally struggle with exactly the sort of thing that that you talk about because I'm not a a trained writer. Um, that's not my thing, and I, I'm trying to really be get like delve in and really start crafting my own fiction uh, to maybe get out there someday. And I struggle with you know what kind of a story am I trying to tell here because I feel like so much of me is just deeply cerebral. But that also makes for weird, boring stories. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Okay, so I I guess this is kind of going back to that literary idea. Like, there are so many just people sitting in a room talking books that are mm -hmm. utterly fascinating. Um, like, they, there is an audience for that. There is a there is a need for those kinds of stories in the world. Um, not just throw bugs of blood at the wall, but like uh, Mike Flanagan monologues. Or, oh, yeah. you know, I think finding that voice is important. And I think I lost a lot of my confidence in. Um, so starting out, I was a self-published writer with absolutely no clue what I was doing. I, I think killer be killed is technically the sixth book that i ever pushed publish on mm -hmm. um, the first three are dead to the world they will never see the light of day again they were <laughs> they were not well constructed they were not well written nothing about them was good um and i i i feel very confident saying that <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the first book that I looked at my back catalog and was like, okay, I kind of figured stuff out there was Through Frozen Veins. So it still mm. exists. I don't think it's the best example of my writing, but it's, it's strong <laughs> enough that it's still out there. But there was this strong learning curve of me having no clue what I was doing and getting rejected because of it that shook my confidence in the wrong things. Mm. Um, my writing wasn't strong enough my grammar wasn't strong enough my punctuation wasn't strong enough like nobody would give me the time of day because I didn't know the fundamentals but in my mind I took that as my voice isn't good um I think in my mind I mm -hmm. took that as the stories I was trying to tell weren't 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 strong enough or something like that when I was just misattributing the problem I just needed mm -hmm. more practice that's um that's really good advice. And uh, I feel like that's also really encouraging. I, I really want to tell you personally, um, I really enjoy interacting with you. And I, you know, I really enjoy um, the growth that that I've seen in your your literature just from book to book. You know, I I had a great time with Killer Be Killed and then uh, Killer Be Killed Homewrecker swooped in and was like oh you thought that was fun uh <laughs> well here's a book that's both fun and gives you the cerebral stuff that you love uh, like i felt like um there's a, a a real development in in what i see from you as a writer you know just from the one book to the next and the the development the the complexity of the new themes that you weave in that strengthen you know, kind of retroactively the stuff that you're doing in that first book and draw out again, some of these conversations that we've had about, you know, kind of what, what your story is saying and, and what it's doing with these metaphors. So um, 
just that's me saying hats off to you. I'm so excited for, you know, your continual evolution as a writer, because I think that this stuff is really thrilling. Um, and as I wrote in my review for Homewrecker, uh, I can't wait for a third installment. I, you know, I, I closed the book um, and immediately was like, well, what the <laughs> fuck is going to happen next? Like, you, you know, get on this, write this. I want to read it. Thank you. Um, everything inside of me is broken right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, oh man, I love you. Thank you. No, um, no you're welcome. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, uh, going through some of the stuff you said, persona-wise, I just always try to be um, an, uh, uh, foolishly optimistic, right? Um, I want to see the good in everybody. I want to believe that everybody's out here doing the best they can for everything, um, right? Um, every book I write, I learn a little bit more. And every every wave of feedback I get on stuff, I'm, I'm picking up more tricks and picking up more like, oh, okay, this is how I could have done this. Um, I think that's the ultimate goal for any artist or any creative is just always keep growing and finding ways to improve when you, when you feel like you've made it. And when you feel like you, you don't have anything else to grow with, like one, you're going to get bored and two, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I could literally just spend the rest of my night talking with you. Um, I would absolutely love that. And uh, I'm I'm definitely going to have to have you come on the show again at the conclusion of, of Killer Be Killed, uh, this trilogy. Hit us up with some details, though. Uh, when do these books come out for those that want to get their hands on them? And where can people find you online? Yes. Um, Killer Be Killed Homewrecker is going to come out in June. I think the date was June 16th, whatever Tuesday is right around there. <laughs> um, Pre-order link should be coming soon. Um, I've been working with uh, NW Reader on the covers and side note, she's the best. Um, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is the only time I will cut you off uh, to say, yeah, we use her for 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 a lot of our Slay House covers as well. She is the best. I I absolutely love the work that she does, and I'm so excited to see that other people have covers from her too. Yeah, um, she's amazing. Um, she's working on the wraparound for it right now, and as soon as I get the wraparound, I can make the 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 paperback available for pre order, and it's this whole thing. Um. But yeah, that uh, the pre-order for that should come eventually. Um, and then String Them Up is coming in September. Crystal Lake and I are still uh, nailing down the cover for it and still nailing down the exact release date. But the the idea is September. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun. Happy birthday to me! Woo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that is September your birthday? It is. All I right. Won't be more specific than that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, now I'm gonna put it on my calendar, so you know, <laughs> just be aware. I'm, I'm gonna be watching for that too. So, and then, uh, where can people find more information from you? Uh, you know, to kind of follow some of your projects online. Um, on Twitter, I am 
uh, at spooky underscore Sterling uh, or killer mediums. I think the killer mediums handle is kind of weird. It's K mediums or something like that. I think that's right. Yeah. Not just the name, but if you search killer mediums, um, it's the, it's the graphic with two blindfolded mediums with blood coming under the blindfold <laughs> gazing over a crystal ball. Um, that, that, that's it. That's me. Um, but yeah, that's Twitter. And then on Instagram, it's at spooky underscore Sterling again. I think I'm moving to just Instagram sometime soon because Twitter is slowly eroding what's left of my soul. It's a, it's a disaster. I, I don't know what to do about Twitter. Yeah, it's hard because I have so many friends that I, I interact with primarily on Twitter. And I think... I'm friends with them on Instagram also, but I'm not confident enough in that to delete Twitter yet. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. And then uh, if people would like to listen in to Killer Mediums, uh, where can they, what what platforms can they find that? Yes. Uh, in theory, Killer Mediums is everywhere. Um, I know that it is on Spotify. It is supposed to be projecting the Apple podcasts and all the others. Um, and I have been able to find it on random websites that I never signed it up for. And I have not been able to find it on Apple podcasts when I've searched before. And it's just super fun. <laughs> um, those RSS, RSS feeds, uh, projecting podcasts out into the ether are odd little ducks. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do know that it's on Spotify and I do follow it on Spotify. So if you're on Spotify, I highly recommend go listen to Killer Mediums. Um, hey, I'm on that show uh, for one episode and I can tell you it 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 continues to get better episode by episode. So, well, thank you so much for being on with us, William. Um, this was absolutely fantastic and uh, good luck on the book releases. I know I will be eagerly waiting in line for them thank you so much it's always such a joy to talk to you love it